Here we go. All right, welcome. Thank Hi. you. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to be here, Kelly. Thank you for the opportunity. You're one of our very, very first Sunday school guests back in the day when we had basically no equipment. We had very little idea of what we were doing. So I appreciate you sort of ushering in that series years ago. And that I think it's so been, much fun. It was, and um, it's still up on YouTube and it's still getting views and people are still uh, learning, learning from you. So it's cool. Uh, it's been that long, I guess, since we've connected, um, you know, under the modern mystic umbrella. So uh, I'm sure much has changed for you in that couple of years. And um, I'm just really looking forward to learning more about who you are, but also who you were. So are you into that story? <laughs> I would be happy. I think I've been making peace with that. Um, you know, there's a reconciliation that happens at some point in life. Mm. And I've, I'll be turning 47 this month. And it's, yeah. it's a good time to do that reflection and reconciliation between the versions mm -hmm. of who we were and now who we are. Because I think all of us are going through this major metamorphosis. Yeah. And it's a beautiful time to do that life review and feel that sense of completion, but also that yeah. sense of culmination is the way I put it. I look back and I go, oh, the breadcrumbs were all there, you know? Yes. It's kind of like you step into that, it is your destiny. And that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Like, you gotta be joking. So I'd yeah. be, happy, be happy to share because it's very present in, um, and what I've been working on personally yeah. for several months now. I love that you called it a metamorphosis because my brain's thinking of it more as like a reckoning that I've been having. But metamorphosis sounds uh, a lot more gentle in a way. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, reckoning. I mean, it's, it's a messy process, right? And yeah. I notice some days I'm like, I'm just in the shithole or like <laughs> dark night of the soul part 400. I'm like, how, when does this end? Like the excavation of these old yeah. patterns. <laughs> I wonder if it does. I, I wonder if it does ever end. I'm, I'm under the impression that it doesn't. However, we are in some sort of new era. It really feels that way. And maybe it is possible that we are the bridge to an era where there is some sort of sense of completion. I don't know. It could be. I do believe that key word is bridge. If everything's energy, we're actually, I think, allowing the way it appears to me, like we are each creators, right? And so we contain mm -hmm. all possibility. And now I think as we're completing these old patterns that are denser and they're based on historical patterns of how we survived and built civilization now we can move out of that egoic paradigm and build from a new place but we need the space holders to allow that vibration to fully anchor so it's kind of like we need the creative capacity to allow in the vibrational possibilities and now many of us as we're awakening we're like oh yeah it's the grid bridge like we're, yeah. we're bridges to these two versions that's exactly yeah. how i experience it Oh, that's cool. Well, let's let's take a trip way back in time. I'm a little bit curious to start from the very genesis. Like, could you tell me a little about your mom and dad and what the stage was like when you entered entered the scene of the family? Yeah. So that would have been um, early '70s in India. I was born in Bombay, um, and you know, it was at 11 months old. My parents. I have an older brother. So the four of us moved to the U.S. when I was just 11 months old. So I celebrated my first birthday in the U.S. So when I entered the scene, you know, it was a time where the family was making this pivot um, into the U.S., which I find really interesting now because, you know, they carried over the old paradigm that they were living in. There's so much beauty in that, but there's also a lot of limiting beliefs, especially in contradiction with a lot of the American values of individualism versus India's very, it's a collectivist society. So early on, you know, I started seeing this polarity between values. Mm -hmm. At the core, they're the same, but the expression of how those values uh, are met are quite different between cultures, whether it's, you know, the sense of community, what does that look like? The sense of, mm, contribution, what does that look like? The sense of duty, what does that look like? 
And, um, you know, early on, my parents were, were very religious, so they prayed and meditated every day. So I grew up in a household where there was always an offering to something bigger than us. I didn't walk out of the house without, you know, my mom had made a little temple and without, you never left the house without a moment of asking for blessing and asking mm. for shelter and um, refuge, essentially a safe haven through your day. And always the idea that you can release what is burdening you to something much bigger. So that was kind of, you know, I grew up with the idea of a collective consciousness of reincarnation and those very mm, fundamental aspects of how I now interpret reality. So by age eight, I was meditating and automatic writing, always had an interest in the metaphysical. I'd walk to the library and we had a small collection of spiritual books and anything they had on UFOs, aliens, uh, any kind of psychic development. Again, a small collection, but as a child, <laughs> I, I rifled through whatever I could find yeah. and it really started cultivating my skills early. So when you speak about reincarnation in the West, most people don't actually even, some never accept that that's a possibility. And then many people like me, I was well into you know, my adulthood before I even sat with the notion of that being a possibility for me. How is that introduced um, in your culture, like that you, where your parents' culture, I guess, into the conversation? Is it just always, you just always kind of have that awareness because it's just permeates through the culture? Um, or was there a time where you get sat down and mom's like, all right, this is one of maybe a hundred million lifetimes. So do your best. <laughs> it's so interesting. You know, that's a, it's a good question to think about how it's introduced. I would say it's because it's cultural, right? Culture is something that we're just immersed in and we can't see out of it until we have the contrast of it. So I always grew up with hearing stories, um, you know, when mom and dad would do their, we had like a monthly more formalized prayer and just hearing the words, they would talk about, you know, paramatma, which is the oversoul, right? So this idea that there's the oversoul and we are fractals of that collective consciousness. So those kind of, I would just say those very seminal kind of concepts were already entrenched. And so, Anytime I heard stories um, from the Vedic tradition, it just illuminated even more the idea that there was a reincarnation. So I would, I would have to say, Kelly, I was just kind of steeped in it. Yeah. And it was just fortified and validated by the additional information that would be yeah. shared by the family through stories or things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So then when you're growing up in the United States, where did you land uh, geographically? In Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah. Okay. So I grew up there and went to college there. Got it. And so what was that like from, I mean, there's many different ways in which potentially you could feel different, you know, from your, from your peers. I guess we talk more about from a spiritual and beliefs perspective. So I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, if your peers are setting up for Christmas and they're talking about Jesus <laughs> um, and, and things like that, how, how was that for you? And were you able to share with your peers a counter um, viewpoint or I don't know, what was that like? Yeah. Um, looking back, I would say it was probably kind of traumatic because I couldn't yeah. make sense. Right. And my, my parents, you know, they had such a tight knit world because it was just all about survival and working and just maintaining the household and building a foundation. A very, very, narrow focus, right? So we didn't have a lot of expression. We didn't have much in terms of integrating the American culture. My mom, I remember had this, it was a tabletop top little Christmas tree. Mm. And she pulled it, she, she bought that probably from a flea market, but it was so perfect. And we would decorate that. And it was a way, I remember her saying, we should honor the traditions of the country we are in while still preserving oh. our own. I remember that was important for her early on. So Christmas was, it was always interesting because people would talk about all the traditions that their family had. And we didn't have those, but we had Diwali, you know, we had different mm -hmm. traditions. But, you know, at the time, because it was like, you know, the 70s, 80s, there wasn't as much diversity or openness. I was fortunate to live in a neighborhood 
that was mixed white and black. So there was already a lot of just people were accepting, but it's like being a minority in a minority. Yeah. And it was a bit, I mean, really looking back, it was a bit of a challenge, but I was fortunate to be in an environment where it wasn't excruciating, but it was definitely notable is the way I would put it. Yeah. I was different. I was different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so what were your hobbies, interests? I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, with the library and all of the sort of more paranormal um, research you were doing at a young age. What, what, I'm just curious what you were like. Like if you were a little version of you in a cartoon, <laughs> and we were watching it on a Saturday morning, what would your character be up to and, and be like? Girl, I've been doing a lot of the, um, a lot of shadow work and a lot of integrating the, the young child. And I found this picture. I didn't have a lot of pictures anyway. And I found this one of me at age five. And I was like, that was the last defining moment where I was defiant and I was truly me. Mm. I would say as a child, I was definitely into, I liked being outside. I liked the rough and tumble. I liked being physical. I loved guns. You know, <laughs> I really loved shooting guns and anything. I had two. Um, one we actually purchased in India. It was like this rifle that shot this little marble and it was like my favorite thing. I definitely enjoyed some of the, just that roughness and the accuracy and the diligence and persistence. I love music and drumming, which was a very natural expression for me. The first thing I ever wanted, again, it was, this was actually Christmas, right? Every, I noticed everyone around. I was only three, but I remember in the neighborhood, everyone was like prepping for Christmas and it was like, they're talking about gifts. And the first thing I ever wanted was a drum. Um, wow. And it's always been something that's very prevalent in my life, um, kind yeah. of in the background. So yeah, just a, I was a happy kid and that got eroded away by the tightness, the constriction of the environment that I was in. Did you ever get the drums? I did. It was not the kind that I wanted. It was a, it was more of a toy drum with like, you know, remember the, it's um, the material of like a, a brown paper bag. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Drumsticks. And I'm like, like I knew at three that that this is not how it's supposed to sound or how it's supposed to feel. And I did. It wasn't until high school that I actually played my very first, it was uh, eighth grade actually preparing for high school that I actually hit my first real drum. And it was just absolutely natural. Like sitting at yeah. a drum kit, somehow mm -hmm. my body knows what to do. That's cool. So did you, did you continue to practice that or was it through just high school? Yeah, I did. that's cool. And then I've weaved it in in adulthood in different capacities, like with Kirtan yeah. groups. Um, mm. I've uh, recently, last year, got a medicine drum and I put it on a snare stand and it plays. I always say the drum plays me. I don't play the drum. To me, it's a light yeah. language and it's when you're yeah. in a state. Just it, yeah. it expresses itself. Yeah, this year was my first time um, not getting into drums, but the tambourine, which sounds so funny, but um, I've been studying a little bit more about my Italian heritage and some of their practices, and they they play the drums and the tambourine, and they go and they, um, you know, they'll play and they'll march to the Black Madonna site or whatever, and I took a virtual class, and I bought a tambourine, and it's so, I can feel it just vibrating in my whole body, and I started to incorporate it uh, before my healing sessions as like a clearing on, and a centering. I'll just start banging the tambourine, um, and it, it's, it's undescribable, you know, and you don't think of a tambourine as like a real power instrument necessarily. It's like the, what you give to the person in the band that like looks pretty and just kind of... <laughs> No, just hangs it around. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's pretty cool. That's incredible. I mean, sound just, it re-patterns energy, right? And if you think of yeah. the tambourine, it's hitting so many different frequencies yeah. at the same time. That, I'm so glad you're doing that. It's powerful. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. I was actually supposed to go to, to Italy with this woman who is a tambourine drummer, witch, medicine woman uh but it got canceled due to everything um but i was i was in i was i was like take me with my tambourine into <laughs> into the holy sites of my homeland um but maybe next wow. year totally yeah. oh yeah. wow 
Something will get activated when you do that. That's for insane. sure. I felt so called to sign up for that. Um, that I call it a yatra. You know, it's like not a vacation. It's like it's a pilgrimage, you know. Uh, but that's cool. That's really cool. So um, as you got older, so you would enter into high school. Uh, did your academic interest, you know, change? What were you interested in academically when you had to start thinking about college and uh, adulthood? You know, it, it's funny, I just pulled out my old records because I'm doing, you know, this is a big healing year for me. So I've been going back and looking and I, I found one of the surveys that you take about what your interests are. My top interest was communication and that's what I really wanted to enter into. But with the traditional background I'm in, my parents were like, you can't do anything with communication and da, 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 da. So I noticed that my passion was definitely communication. There's something about it that scared me at the time, but I knew that I loved it. My first job in high school actually was a roller rink DJ. <laughs> That's incredible. It was a dream position that I totally manifested. And so, you know, music, communication, orchestrating the vibe of the room, I would say yeah. that's what I really recognized that I loved. And when I played, you know, snare drum in the marching band, in the pep band, it didn't matter. Like I was, I was contributing to the sound of how people would feel. And I just, that was really, I would say, if there's one thing I learned in high school, it was about myself was how much I love getting people aligned and excited. I was president of nearly every club. Like it's ridiculous. Overachiever because I was definitely compensating for not being happy at home. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, I was feeling that um, as we we're talking about, you know, the two, two different versions of reality that I was having to hold. There was the real me and there's the conditioned me. And so High school really illuminated the contrast, but also gave me the playground to yeah. be fully expressed as a leader, as someone who just loves being in front of a group and loud at the same time. Yeah. So what was the counterpoint to that? So at home, you're saying, it, it, was it, um, what about it felt constricting to you? You know, the cultural context, because my, my family, they were conservative out of survival and it's all they knew. So... You know, it was, um, it was two years ago I got this note from a middle school classmate of mine who became a Facebook friend, and it illuminated something really important. She sent me this message, and it said, Hi, Dershna. I don't know if you remember me from middle school. Her name's Tina. She said, in middle school PE, you used to share that you would have an arranged marriage. And I always wondered how that turned out for you. Oh <laughs> so, gosh. you know, when I got that message, yeah. it was like, Holy shit, by age 12, I was already indoctrinated, brainwashed, indoctrinated into the idea that I would have an arranged marriage. And I was mm. openly talking about this with my classmates. Yeah. So that was the kind of um, contrast and constriction of you know, who I knew myself to be, but then holding this version of ex expectation. Yeah. So yeah, that's, um, that's what I was feeling at home was the tightness of how I had to be. Yeah. I'm also, um, it was interesting to me that you said that you were interested in communications because I too, uh, I actually went to college for communications, but when I was younger, I was telling Brandon this the other day, I would set up a desk and pretend I was an anchor of a news show. Like that was my playtime. <laughs> and I'd be like, no. <laughs> it's like, here's the news of the day. And then, uh, and then I loved it when I had little sisters because I was much older than them because then I had an audience. So I would go in the kitchen and do like a cooking show <laughs> and they would be watching. But it makes me oh curious God. about people like us. And when I think about someone like Jamie Butler or some of our other peers who, you know, you, you have these psychic intuitive abilities and there has to be something in the, in the mission about communicating it and knowing from a very young age that you can be a messenger um, and I, you know, I never, I never formerly, like I never actually went into the news world or whatever, but now, you know, I'm growing into having, being a more public person. So I just think that I'm just curious now I'm going to be thinking about all the other friends that I have in this field to see maybe they had those inclinations at a young age as well. 
That's so fascinating. You're right about the communication side, you know, because in the work I've been creating without communication, it's the communing of the light particles, commune at ion, communicate at ion, you know, we're literally communing and creating in the 3D density with communication. Without it, we can have all the knowledge and the wisdom and experiences, but that mm, translation into something that is meaningful in this realm is really the challenge. And so I realize now, so right about the communication side. And I bet it's, it's probably a common thread with a lot of us. Yeah. I'd be curious. Now I'm going to ask other folks because I never put, I recently put that link together for myself. When I say recently, as in a few days ago, because I had this really incredible reading and the woman was talking to me, uh, I was an astrology reading about this another, another phase of being uh, heavily in Mercury, which is the planet of communication and saying, she's like, girl, you got to get ready to communicate farther and more, etc." And so when you put that piece too, I do think that's what what the challenge is. And that's why I was so excited to speak with you because I haven't met anyone who is actually working on a lexicon for this in such an intentional way. Uh, so hopefully we'll, we'll definitely get to that piece of your story as far as where you are now and where you're going. But that's fascinating to me because so many times I just got, you know, we wrote a book last year and um, so much of it was my editor going back and forth to say like, say this in fucking English. And my notes would be like, what does this mean? 10 question marks, 10 exclamation points, because yeah. we're not used to the fact that in sort of our community, you use a, a sort of a certain kind of language, but then when you're trying to translate it to the mass public, you've got to figure out that resonance without losing the essence of, of the magic, you know? You nailed it right there. And I'm so glad it's not just me. <laughs> Yeah. Like the translation and, and when, we're, when we're steeped in it, like it's the culture, mm -hmm. I forget that it doesn't always connect with others. And that's what I hear too, is can you, yeah. can you make it more relatable? And I'm like, mm -hmm. it's a light language. I don't know. <laughs> but you can, you can, you're working on it. My thing, I used to say, I used to say what a lot. And I didn't think that that sounded um, I don't know, just like, what? It kind of sounds like a lazy way to ask a question. So I started saying, can you say that in a different way um, when I wasn't understanding people? And then now I was finding myself being reflected back. Can you say that in a different way? I'm like, okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So you were into communication, right? Which uh, I'm glad to see that you're stepping into, um, you know, currently. So it didn't get lost in the sauce. Uh, but but instead, what path did you take? So I, um, I ended up in information systems, which I absolutely loved. So it's computer science business combined, which was beautiful because it like full circle again, I realized for me, the way I experience reality is like a software program. So it literally is bits and bytes of particles and oscillation, just pixels that were programming with our intention, emotion, and cognition, with our thought patterns, right? And so information systems showed me that everything is in format ion. It's information. Reality is information. And so having the information systems background has really helped me understand reality as this massive multi-dimensional database. So every ION word, dimense ion, Dimension is to measure. So we're creating the constraints. Every dimension has to, it becomes the masculine energy, right? It creates the, the patterning that keeps us encapsulated in some reality. But the beauty is we, once we recognize that, we can expand it. And so with information systems, we can recognize that everything's just the process of information. We are nothing but these energy algorithms. We're functions of energy. And every ION word, ION is a charge of energy or a charge of light. In Latin, it means go. Mm. Quest ION, an ION on a quest, right? And so what every ION word is pointing to is what we're doing with the energy in the system. So if reality is a system, if civilization is a system, if we look at the word like communication, if we look at the word meditation, meditate is to measure. 
we're measuring, we're taking inventory of our vibrational patterns and the level of polarity that's present. So if we were to think that if civilization is a system, it's not simply the sum of its parts, it's the sum of its parts interact ions, interactions. Mm. So what if instead of changing reality, action and by default it changes the form frequency creates form essence is form if we change the informat ion the information that we're exchanging in communication that's what communication is in civilization is an organization organized ion that's flowing information. In every interaction, we can actually stand up a new reality when we focus on the energy, the form actually shifts. So if we think about how to change reality, my question became what holds current reality in place? Mm. What's the answer? Emotional <laughs> entanglement is what I came <laughs> up with. Okay. Kelly, I spent seven years. I mean, I know you've yeah. seen, you've seen yeah, yeah. this thing here. It's, um, it is it's the tensegrity points of reality. And so I created, I call it the field guide. It's like, it's like the dictionary, it's the algorithms that shape our reality. So it breaks all of these ION words down that create our experience, our dimensions of reality. Mm. And it gives us now the light language, but it doesn't yeah. make sense to anyone, I realize, because first we have to relate to reality as this multidimensional experience. Mm. I think it's so cool. And I feel like, and I don't know where you were in your process of developing this, but this was the, the talk that you gave several years ago in the store. Um, and it seems like it's getting more and more clear. So I can't tell if you're getting more clear or if the, the community or the, what's it called? I have, I'm losing the word, but everyone is catching up to you. Cause I do feel like you're a little bit of a, a lot of bit of a trailblazer, sort of a visionary. And so sometimes you got to talk into the void for a while until people are connected and are ready, ready to catch up with you a little bit. I think you're right. You know, the process of creating ionation, it's, I've given birth to it and it gave birth to me. Any kind of creative mm. process now, I really understand. Like you've written books, you know that <laughs> it's a process yeah. and you have to get to know how that creative flow works for you, but you're getting birth at the same time. There's new, yeah. there's new aspects of yourself that you're recognizing in the process. So I would say it's, it's everything is converging where it's like the, the narrative, the mainstream community is like ready it's ripening so what the way i i experienced life now is from a place of emergence and so this was completed at the end of last year it printed like everything's done and i haven't been able to move out with it fully because the universe is like no you need to chill you got to get mm -hmm. your stuff clear yeah. and allow the groundswell to happen because i knew 2020 was going to play out i didn't know exactly how but i knew the global sure. reset was underway and it was funny because on the last page of the book i just mm -hmm. tongue in cheek <gasps> it says reset code y'all it says reset code <laughs> whoa and so i just knew that we were about to hit that inflection point of yes. now upgrading our operating system sure. and i think now the emergence is happening where it's saying all right d your work is gonna make sense <laughs> like yeah no i would agree it's 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 clicked with me uh, as I've seen you share bits and pieces this year uh, in a much more resonant way than the first time I was introduced to it. Uh, so I, I got really excited because I'm like, oh, I get it now. And this is really neat. This is really, really cool. And um, I think also the collective is ready. I, I was mentioning to you how I do the reunion process. And one of my clients said to me that the reunion process seems to her like you're looking at code like the zeros and the ones, and then it goes in there and it recodes these little pieces so that the program runs differently. Yes, um, and it sounds like what you're talking about a little bit. That's exactly it, Kelly. I'm, that's, I love that others are seeing it in similar ways, right? Because we all experience the field. It's just a matter of how we interpret it. And that's exactly how I see it. And it's been channeled to me. I've got a whole write-up. Um, and I've shared this on videos that 
the raw collective was explaining the zeros and the ones to me and the becoming of one to zero and one, uh, zero to one. And it literally is configurations of expression and we can reset those patterns because then there's no entanglement with the information that we're moving through. So reality is just, it's an experience of tension between resistance and flow. So flow is fully just allowing, 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 but we don't do much when we're in that state. We're just experiencing. Mm -hmm. But cognition, cognit, how we know is what ensnares and entangles us in that perceptive lens, which is beautiful because then we have experience. Mm -hmm. But when there's ancestral noise, when there's old life patterns from our own now limiting beliefs in the resonant field, things like the reunion process or any kind of work that goes, that focuses on the resolution, resolution mm -hmm. of those patterns of energy in the field, those configurations of light, as we smooth those back and reset, we have a new experience of the informational field itself. That's exactly how I experience it. Oh, that's so cool because I don't know if you, you might know this. I'm not sure how familiar, familiar you are with the technology of the reunion process, but the end, it is resolving. It's, that's what it's called. Um, and I, I don't really explain that to people, but um, I've never, I've always heard, thought of it as resolve, but you're right. It's a resolution, right? Um, very cool. And, solution. Solution oh, to the question. We're on a quest and the answer is yeah. already there. We just have to allow. And the start of the session, now you've got me in these ions. The start of the session is permission. That's the first thing you do is permission. And the last thing you do is resolution. Um, so we've got that and the ion is, you know, I guess how you, I'm going to say it back to you and you correct me. So, I mean, the ion is the energy to the word, like the, is it, did I say that right? So it, the ion is the conscious field itself. It got is it. to me like one of the pixels in the matrix. Okay. Got so it. Every okay. ion matters because every ion is collectively then creating matter. Yes. Can you define in your own words the word matrix and what that means to you in relation to reality? Yeah. I appreciate that question. I'm going to get some visuals. Um, so if we think of reality as They're showing me so many different ways to approach this. They're using the word lattice, um, the lattice structure. So let me break that down. If we think of it as a grid, mm -hmm. they're showing me graph paper, mm -hmm. but then you want to turn the graph paper up and now imagine it's multidimensional. Mm. Right. Yeah. So it is when you think of like the movie, the matrix, and they're showing you that kind of grid, that's exactly to me what the matrix experience is like. And so when I'm working or just even walking around now, as I'm experiencing the world around me, especially nature is so beautiful to do this, you'll see the distinct layers of information in the matrix. So the matrix itself is the intelligent field of energy. Now, the degree to which we experience that matrix is a function of our capacity to integrate the information that's available in that moment. We usually have a consciousness aperture that's quite limited to the information. Many of us are only tapped into the five physical sensed ions, the sensations that are calibrated to the lower density energy in the matrix. Intuition is helping us reach out of those five physical senses into the greater possibility of information in the matrix, but it's so it's this lattice structure that is never ending, right? And that's why the universe expands because we're constantly creating from a new place. And, and so the matrix itself is this multi-dimensional realm in which our point of attention resides mm -hmm. to have that experience in that perceived time space aspect of the all that is. Yes, that makes sense, oddly. <laughs> I was like, that really does make sense. So, uh, so why is it that sometimes when you hear people talk about the matrix who are in this work, they're trying to, they're trying to almost frame it as a negative thing, 
but basically like, like we're locked in this matrix and we need to get out of the matrix. But it also seems to me like maybe what you're saying is it's a framework in which you can get in and out of based on your perception, not that you're sort of enslaved and locked in. Is that how, how would you just say that? I'm really glad you're asking that question because it's something that I had to kind of reconcile and define for myself as well. The way I would put it is everything is in this multidimensional vibrational matrix, this realm, right? And when we talk about getting out of the matrix here on earth in the 3D, to me, that's the entanglement in the denser reality that we consider to be only what is real. So by disentangling with the version of the narrative that keeps us, the word enslaved is coming up as um, energy in that machine because we're constantly emitting energy with our emotions. Mm-hmm. And so the old paradigm, fear, shame, guilt, like those emotions are keeping us captive in an old version of reality that is now wanting to mm, expand. We as humans are evolving. It's really about the earth and the cosmos evolving. We're just kind of along for the ride and we can be in the way of that as well. Sure. So to me that we're always going to be in a matrix because the mind needs ratios. It needs the rationale and the ratios to be in a dimension. So we're always going to be in a matrix, but now we can be multi-dimensional because we have access outside of the limitations of what we perceive in 3D. Because you know, once you know that time is an illusion, it's a, it's a function of frequency, boom, yep. you're right there in the fourth density, in the yep. fourth dimension. So yep. we're already 4D once you recognize the power that time is actually at your disposal. Mm. Yeah. Our frequency creates the time and that's why we're timeless when we are in our flow state. You're like, four hours went by, where did that go? Totally. Yeah. Experiencing it. Yeah. The other day I had for the first time what well, I called it a glitch in the matrix just because I didn't have the words. But, um, you know, like I get a lot of, um, all of my psychic information for me still feels like a layer away from my physical reality. So like when I hear things, it's not with my physical ears, it's like this psychic ear. Or when I see things, it's sort of like an overlay, not with my physical eyes. But the other day, Maybe you can explain. You don't have to explain anything, but I was looking into a crystal because I, we just bought it from this, this show and it was so beautiful. And then I looked up in the kitchen and I saw Brandon and then I was startled because I had my headphones in and I thought he was gone. And I was like, whoa, what is going on? And then it went zip and then he disappeared because he wasn't there. And it felt like it was like a glitch in the matrix. Like he had been there before and he'll probably be in that exact spot later that night. But right then he was at Lowe's and I saw him in the exact outfit and it was just, so I was like, oh, maybe this is, and it was with my physical eyes, not like the overlay. I was like, oh, maybe this is, I'm getting a taste of at least 4D or something, but I'd never been so real. And it was like a zap, like a, like almost like a TV kind of short circuited and then he was gone. Yeah. It was interesting. <laughs> that, you know, um, it's, it's trippy, right? When you have those experiences, because what you are, that this is my interpretation. Cause I know what you're talking about. It's you are becoming present to the flow of information and you can literally see now the frames shift in and out. And then the lines of potential possibilities, right? We're just riding these waves of potential. And mm-hmm. so even Brandon being who he is knows how to jump. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he did come visit. <laughs> exactly. So you can project yourself yeah. to other places or extract yourself from places. Yeah. You'll notice animals do this all the time. Mm. Um, yeah. Like my dog, for many years, we had my daughter and I had this joke. We're like, she teleports. And then we've had <laughs> readers tell us, you know, your dog teleports. And we're like, yes, like we're not crazy. Yeah. And so you learn that you can manipulate the time space continuum. And sometimes you're just experiencing other people's um, thoughts and projections now crystallizing yeah. because the veil is so thin. And I think, Kelly, what you're experiencing is going to be more of what we experience. 
Yeah, I hope so. It's a holographic field and we can play in different ways. I mean, you know, we do that as as psychics anyway, like when we have our friends. Sure, dude. Like, you know, let's, and you can have meetups on the other side when you're even sleeping, you can have a party and sure. It's all right there for us. I think we're going to experience more of that now and feel the glitches, but now have more um, ease about how we shape the experience of that information. We totally skipped your adulthood to present time. I'm okay with that if you are, because this conversation I think is more riveting. Um, I have a follow-up question. I, I can't remember what word you use, but you maybe use the word polarity. Would that be a word that you would use? Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, I've experienced and sort of believe in the notion that we are in a polarity planet. Um, and there's the, you know, the pop, and I don't, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do in my practice is get away from like good, bad, or like considering light, good, dark, bad. It's like more of a neutral perspective. Here's my question. And this is, it might be a weird question, but in a polarity planet and in the spiritually conscious community, when we are when there has previously been an emphasis on love and light as the dominant high vibes is the, that's the way I feel like for many, almost at least a decade that I've been in this work, that has been an emphasis. Is it the, and then would, would do you believe that the polarity is equal and opposite? So like if quote unquote light workers get more integrated uh, and maybe not so high vibe minded and more in their bodies, do you think the negative polarity would then be less extreme? Well, how do you see that whole thing? Girl, I love this so much um, because I, I found for me that without really doing the deep excavation and unearthing of what feels unresolved within me, I can't hold a higher frequency. It's like the tree analogy, right? Our roots have to be as deep and as thick and as rich to nourish the outward reach. And I think as practitioners, I saw people toppling over. (laughs) Their trees were toppling over because, and I was experiencing that for me too, is my body was like, yo D like, and I think there's that spiritual sidestepping. We can do this wonderful dance up here, but if we're not doing the work of being in our body and literally resolving those old limiting patterns that, you know, there's that emotional entanglement, which is keeping us in this reality as it's currently expressed. So I think if we did the shadow work, if we did the integration of the dark, if we, for me, I would say I took this year off knowing things were going down. I closed my practice at the end of last year and Mm. It wasn't until literally this weekend, Kelly, that I hit one of the core things that I could not reconcile all of these years of doing very diligent work. It's been 20 years of nonstop internal work. I'd wake up every morning and feel this noise in my body. And I'm like, I can't figure out what it is. And so I would encourage those that are on the path, when you wake up in the morning, if you can't feel that total sense of connection, Mm-hmm. that little noise, almost like, you know, where you hear the refrigerator running and when it turns off, you're like, <laughs> oh God, that was kind of disturbing. It right. was that point where I had hit something core in my childhood that was ready to mm. be seen. And once I hit that, all of a sudden this reconnection happened. And I know now my branches can extend even further because mm. I won't be holding that same frequency of noise that's generating yeah. in my field. And then it's, permeating through the collective. So I think for all of us, the work is internal. If we want to change the world, it's an inside out activity. And we've got to resolve anything that feels noisy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a dissonance or a disharmony in the system. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, And have you experienced, you know, people in the news will tell you, and that's why I try not to watch the news so much. And I feel like I, uh, I watched a video with you addressing that. So if you guys need to check it out. Tell them about the YouTube video. Cause what I thought was so interesting that just came out was that I was watching it thinking it was a current recording. And then I realized it was two years old and it was so prophetic. I was, it was, it was like, <laughs> I was like, she knew this shit was coming. Um, so will you just drop, will you just mention what that is so people can find in more about that 
this topic with you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Was that the They Call Us Channelers interview? Yeah, it was like an yeah. interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So on the, um, it's Turn Your Eye On is the YouTube channel. And I know I have it linked in a playlist or on Linktree, Turn Your Eye On. Mm. Um, we'll get you there. My website, turnyoureyeon.com is in the works right now. Um, in that interview, it was with Kevin Moore. He has a docu-series called They Call Us Channelers. It was filmed in 2018, early 2018. And the information that was, you know, I was already working on Ionation then. Mm -hmm. um, I was probably a good five years in, but it hadn't quite synthesized. What was coming out was the idea that humans are artificially intelligent. Mm -hmm. And because we are encoded with, like you said, news, Think of all the, the words related to news, programming, channel, mm -hmm. mainstream, current. You know, all of, all of these things are telling us that we are being programmed. Yeah. And it's what you're, you know, what you were alluding to earlier is there's matrix and then there's multidimensional matrix. Mm -hmm. And so we are being held captive through our own permission to be held in that limit, limitation. And so in that interview, it was... I mean, we knew 2020 was going to be that reset moment. And um, yeah, I, I would encourage people to have a listen, especially after I think it was like minute 19, we really get into the- It the got juicy. <laughs> yeah. um, I will add another word to your news, your news um, collection of words uh, that hit me when I was thinking actually of you, because when I was watching one of your videos, I came up with that current and I was like, oh, we're actually getting swept in a current. But the word anchor as the person who actually delivers the news, I thought was really interesting that that's what they're called. <laughs> oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Yeah. Because, oh my God. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much information. <laughs> Because you always need a 3D conduit. You need a human conduit. Oh my God. So you can nibble that makes on me that. A angry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Still That's working okay. through some of that anger. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I was what I was gonna ask you though about the polarity is do you experience this planet to be as polarized, less polarized? or more polarized today than maybe prior? Because everyone's talking about how polarized it is. Is that true or is that like a narrative to keep us separate? You know, I would say the polarity always existed. I think it's being surfaced and now highlighted and illuminated. So it's being emphasized. And I think that's the divine's way of saying, y'all wonder why you stuck it's because you got this yeah. and this like you need to learn to reconcile both energies by integrating yes. all of it as aspects of truth yes. but now how do you problem solve in a new way and we need new language we need a new yeah. lens we need new logic you know einstein talks about to solve the problems of today they were created by yesterday's thinking we need a higher level of consciousness a new perspective because mm -hmm. reality is nothing but layers of the abstraction and mm -hmm. sense making of these configurations of light. So I think right now we're going through that expansion where we now have a capacity to apply another layer of abstraction to that polarity. The polarization is simply just aspects of expression of the same thing. For one to exist, we have to have the other. So I would say the extreme is being played out so that the reconciliation is mm. very tangible. We feel it now. And we feel the yearning for re-un-ion. Reunion mm. is the integration back to source. And so we get to decide what degree we want. How do we want to reformat these patterns? We're no longer subject to them. We can hold them out as object, as these abstractions. And we can yes, that's awesome. And of course, it's the reunion process that I'm obsessed with. So that's pretty cool that that happened. Um, Okay, I, I was wondering if we could also chat about interdimensional beings. It's totally off. I mean, it's, I'm just so into it, and I don't get to chat with people very much who are so into it. So I guess my question for you to start would be, um, in what ways do you think humanity is influenced or has been influenced by interdimensional beings, and how can we use those connections for our benefit and our evolution, or can we? 
Yeah. You know, the idea of multidimensional access and consciousness has always been fascinating for me because as a child, you know, I know many of us and, and many of the people watching or tuning in, you'll remember when you were young, you had guidance coming in. Where's that coming from? So in this vibrational field, to me, we can have non-physical consciousness constantly communicating with us. Um, and to me, it's ever present because these are just aspects of the multidimensional realm. They can be conscious or non-conscious energy imprints. And I believe a lot of the creators are simply tapping into a stream or multiple streams. I've had, um, you know, my clients, uh, many of them, I have a handful of great musicians and very blessed to work with them because they get, when they're on stage in front of 30,000 people, you know, they're harnessing that energy and they're yeah. repatterning an entire arena with that energy. And so I think once you understand that you can pull from all of this information, what they tell me is like, D, once you get tapped in, there's so many beings that will want to communicate with you and have you almost kind of pass along their legacy of what they want mm. to share and they'll use you as a conduit. And they're not kidding. Like all of a sudden different scientists will start to line up. I'm like, Einstein, let's chat. Like, oh really? Mm. Time, space, spin in charge. Thank you. That was a missing piece of the equation, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and he just, he starts breaking it down. And I think we have access to an unlimited potential of wisdom and knowledge of these their personas persist and we can yeah. tap into them. Yeah. I love rap, writing rap music now. And so I've got a whole lineup of amazing musicians that will work with me and help me. Mm. So to me, it's just, it becomes part of the experience that you can call on or tap into sure. or they just start showing up. Yeah, that's really cool. And so I'm asking this because I want to hear your perspective. I do get messages from some of our listeners or customers that are fearful about um, connecting with anything outside. They're like, really want to tap into their intuition. They seem cool with that. That seems safe. You know, meditation, cool. Um, crystals, nice. But whenever you start putting some sort of identity or name, or it feels like a being, sometimes they uh, get scared or trepidatious to say it mildly. Um, Question, did you did you ever have those sorts of experiences where at first you were nervous and if so how did you get through it and is there any reason to be a little bit trepidatious or discerning when you're starting to you know when all these beings are lining out the door because I've definitely had that experience and it's very similar to what people describe as a schizophrenic break which I thought might have been the case for me thankfully it was not yeah you know, Kelly, I think you said the key word there, and that's discernment. I think we have to go in with intention because, you know, our vessel and information can be manipulated. And, you know, there's, it's just all light doing its thing. And, and so discernment to me has been the most important muscle to build. And discernment lies to me in the body. Like I have to feel like if this doesn't feel good, no, no. If it feels uplifting and if it feels like something that can be trusted and it's moving towards positivity in a way that will have a future impact for greater expression on the planet, to me, it, it aligns. So I have to make sure I know who I am, what information do I want to be a conduit of? Yeah. And then only connecting with those types of vibrations. Ever since I was a child, um, the Raw Collective has been <laughs> communicating with me. I didn't really talk about it for a long time because I actually, it can be when, you know, when we put names on things, people uh, want to attack. So I would say for those individuals out there, it's okay to keep your sources nameless. You could just yeah. call it source. You can call it whatever you, you know, however you want to relate to it, because on the other side, they really don't care about the, they just want the information to get out there. Um, it's not about the name, but discernment, I would say is really, really key. And um, just recognizing that every belief 
all the information we're receiving is still going to be out of someone or something's perspective. So don't take it as the ultimate truth. Like even when I'm working with the rock collective, I remind myself there's still information beyond what that collective has access to. There's more dimensions. And so why would I even limit what I'm perceiving as the truth? It's not, it's just simply yet another perspective. It's one piece of it. And so when you rely on your sources, just as information then other sources can still be contributing to your individual and collective expansion. Yes. So now I'm kind of curious to go back in time, even though it's simultaneous <laughs> to talk about, <laughs> um, how did you, I mean, I know you've been meditating, you said since you were eight, I'm, I have two questions. One, how did you start to really tap into knowing that you, you know, you have something special and I'm, I, I hate to, I don't like to make people special necessarily because that, that gets in a whole other realm, but you have perceptions maybe beyond your peers and beyond, you know, the average person that's been helping you. And then I was also curious along that journey, was there any teachers or any people that really helped you to uh, feel grounded and safe? And, you know, when the stuff is, a lot of our listeners, the stuff is new for them. And then they're like, what do I do? Who can help me? So I think it helps to hear your awakening story for lack of a better term. Yeah. Okay. So I would say it's been pretty much a solo journey for many years um, of refining, attuning my skills. Again, the automatic writing early on was really important for me because it showed me surrender. And then when things would start to flow, I'm like, these are not my words and they're beautiful. Um, and then dowsing, I started in dowsing early on and then you know, bending spoons a little later, just uh, because then it shows the limitation of the mind. And when you unlearn everything, you know, all of a sudden your experience of reality begins to literally bend at your will. Yeah. Um, it was, I would say in adulthood, the one individual that had me trust the deeper levels of channeling would be Jamie Butler, you know, because my practice was at the center and uh, we did some one-on-one -on -one coaching because as I wanted to develop the channeling aspect of what I did, to me, it was, it was good to be in a safe space because I was learning to full yeah. body trans channel at that time to just kind of figure out what my style is and being able to be in a room with someone who's like, yeah, you are, you are totally out of your body or you're half in, you're half out to have someone help me calibrate what that experience is like when you're driving the car like am i in the lane am i in the lane i can't tell i can't tell to have someone just help shepherd you and keep you safe at the same time mm -hmm. to me was really instrumental yeah. um that was probably the most affirming um mm. kind of coaching that i had and you know along the way i would just say teachers would pop in and pop out but really yeah. for me it's been important i know my soul always told me it's a solo journey because you have to find your own truth and your own yeah. expression of it and that's yeah. i encourage people like i didn't teach reiki or anything because i'm like dude you know if you follow your intuition why limit it to that someone channel that information right channel your own information use it as a foundation but never be limited by what you've learned continue almost unlearning to be open to new information that wants to yeah. arise. And that's how I've always practiced is I'm very much, it's, um, I like to do the experiments in my mind because that allows the solutions to come in here. And then I can mm. experience it in the 3d in, in different ways. That's awesome. Uh, Jamie Butler also taught me how to bend a spoon. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, t totally. Because I, um, I've been on a pretty much of a solo journey when it comes to the psychic abilities and, and intuitive abilities. And so I joined one of her mediumship classes, even though I was already a medium, just to like have contact with other folks that are doing it and to learn. She's a very, I think she's a very prolific teacher. Her style of teaching uh, is not linear, actually. And I learned a lot from watching her teach because I was still teaching from what's the syllabus, what's the outline, you know, very Piscean old school ways. And she's really in the flow with her teaching. So um, anyone in Atlanta, she's doing a lot virtually now and they're like $10 classes you can pop in. Um, that's very, very cool. Well, I'm wondering if there's anything else you'd like to cover um, 
or any other, anything else you're hoping to relay to our audience? Um, well, besides your book and, and, uh, but if there's any sort of closing wisdom, uh, and then we'll kind of wrap up to where, how people can work with you. I appreciate that. Um, I'm just tapping in to see, cause the idea of emergence is really what we're moving into. Um, mm. It's funny when, you know, my first brand was unscripted way, right? That's what mm -hmm. I did my Reiki work under for, for many years. And it's now looking back, it's because being unscripted allows us to be in the present moment and whatever wants to emerge begins to allow the divine intelligence to work through us. So we're not controlling it. We're the conduit of, we're in the allowing of it. So what's coming through is really the importance of surrendering the having to know, the grasping of information and knowledge and actually the inner, it's almost like a melting and the allowing of who we are now to really come through because the sense-making will then happen in a way that supports the collective progression and evolution. Right now we're getting tripped up in making sense Making mm -hmm. sense actually creates resistance because mm. it's interception of information. So the idea is actually soften and allow greater flow and then move towards what feels aligned in this new expression. And then coming back to the word anchor, I love mm. the full circle that they always do. <laughs> They're saying we get to anchor this new vibration and potentiality and possibility in our own way now by unconditioning, unscripting, and then doing the reset. And then it's, it literally is like the matrix where you walk into the blank box and you're like, oh, I get to create the constructs of my reality. So we're yeah. going through a deconstruction, a dematerialization right now in order now to reconstruct mm. with intention who mm -hmm. we are, how we want to be, what is the world we want to create? Mm -hmm. So it's a place now of intentionality because that creates the tensions of new possibility, but then we're holding that creative space to be that grid bridge, mm -hmm. anchor in this new dimensional reality where I believe we can be free, we can be fun, we can be expressive and have this amazing society at the same time because the solutions are already there. I'm working with global teams that are just showing up and they're like, I have this land. And I'm like, well, I have the architect that will help you build that thriving mm -hmm. community. So my home is already designed. It was designed over two years ago, generates more power than it consumes. Mm. So it's, um, you know, all the solutions that we need and it looks like a modern masterpiece, but it's made of the earth in the last two, 300 years. So mm. it takes care of all the issues we have. You grow your food, you have an abundance of it. Every community would be not even sustainable. It's thrivable. You'd have a surplus. Mm. Um, all the solutions, Kelly, are there. We just need to get out of the way. Yeah. And the conduit now, the arms and legs of Gaia to allow this information to come through. So there's a, just a heightened do the work to harmonize within so we don't yes. act in the emotional intensity that will begin to even increase greater through the end of this year. Yeah, I thank you. That's super validating to hear that because it's similar to what I've been feeling. So thank you for sharing that. Um, well, thank you for your time. How can people find you? I don't know. You said, I don't know if you're working with people at this time, but at least how can they grab your book and support your work? So, um, Everything is being stood up right now. I would say okay. the link tree, Turn Your Eye On, will be the primary. Um, there's a YouTube channel, Turn Your Eye On, Turn Your Eye On. Um, Unscripted Way are also the handles that you'll find on Instagram and Facebook, Unscripted Way. The website is forthcoming. That will be turnyoureyeon.com. The book, although printed and ready to go, I will begin rolling it out for purchase in tandem with immersion experiences. I'm realizing oh. that makes no sense until I have people in. Yeah. And so I'll probably release it in tandem with um, retreats, experiences where we can really dive into the, the content of it. 
Yeah, well, sign me up. I want to be in that room. I want to get those transmissions. I want to get that field guide. I <laughs> so I think, that. that's, I think that's wise. We did something similar with some of our more magical products. As simple as an oil, we have, this, like, we have these really magical ritual oils that we're like, we can't sell this by itself without instructions because it's really powerful and we want to help guide people to, to use it in a way that's going to benefit them, you know? So I understand what you mean to be guided um, with the guide and get more context and application. Well, I think you're brilliant. I am so grateful that you took this time. Um, I'm always impressed with your innovation. I just feel like you're a very innovative uh, being that has a lot of novel ideas to share. And I'm so glad that I've been seeing you, at least from my viewpoint, it feels like you're sharing more. And I would like even more of you. There's never, there's never too much. Um, so thank you for, for sharing this wisdom that you have with our community and ongoing. Kelly, thanks for the opportunity. It means yeah. the world to be able to share. And I'm really now ready to step out. I think yeah. it's, it's time. Yeah, I can and, feel it. Uh, <laughs> I so appreciate the opportunity. And for yeah. anyone who's tuning in, like, it's going to be a ride, y'all. It's going on to about is. 2026. But Yes. We're all in it together. We have the solutions, move past the emotions, integrate the emotions, not move past. Yes, yes, the emotions yes. are the motion behind the wheel of creation. We just have to direct it now mm. towards the version of reality that we want to stand up. And it really is all of us together making it happen, allowing uh, it to happen. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk with you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Kelly. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.